We all need encouragement, motivation, and inspiration in our life. Each week, Patty will interview guests who will motivate and inspire you through their unique personal and professional experiences. I listen, my mom listens, pretty much the whole family. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. It's drastically changed my life. All of your senses will wake up as you listen to this scrumptious podcast that is sure to tickle your eardrums. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Wake Up with Patty Catter starts now. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Wake Up with Patty Catter. I have a very special guest tonight, Cornelius Maxwell. Cornelius is a U.S. Army veteran, an author, a public speaker, a mentor, an advocate. I am sure I'm missing something, Cornelius. <laughs> uh, entrepreneur. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, really happy to have you on tonight because we're going to hit some tough topics. Normally in my show, we don't hit a lot of tough topics like we're going to hit tonight. So I appreciate you being on. Uh, what I'd like for you to do, first of all, is just to tell our guests a little bit about yourself, where you came from, a little bit about how you grew up. All right. Well, like I said, my name is Cornelius J. Maxwell. I'm a U.S. Army veteran. Um, the way I grew up, I grew up in uh, El Paso, Texas, to a son of a veteran. My dad's also an Army veteran. Wow. And so... Yes, he's also a, a minister, and my mother's an evangelist, missionary. So, you know, I grew up with a very strong church background, um, you know, raised in church. You know, we grew up in, a, I'd say, a, a middle-class family. You know, it was uh, five of us all together. Well, my parents have five children together. They include uh, three boys, two girls, and I'm the second oldest out there, out the five, so. Wow, I'm sure your parents kept really busy then. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, yes. Mm. So you're in El Paso, Texas. What is the atmosphere like there? Because I'm from Michigan, Flint, Michigan. Okay. And it's a lot different than Texas. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, it has a really strong Hispanic culture in El Paso, but it also has a, a, uh, a Black culture there, and it has uh, different cultures. El Paso, especially being it has a military base there, Fort Bliss, is <laughs> And so that's a big thing. And then, like I said, you're right there. You're five minutes away from Juarez, Mexico. Um, you're literally right there on the corner of New Mexico with Las Cruces, about less than an hour away. So, you know, you're really in a hot... I'd say the region is, like, you're right there on the corner of Texas, Mexico, and New Mexico. So, you know, you're right there in that area. So, mm -hmm. Wow. So um, how would you say... Okay, one of the biggest things, I'm just going to pull it out here. So right now, there's a huge, um, mm -hmm. there's rioting, there's um, people protesting right now. And it's a lot different than from when I grew up. So the, I'll just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about how I grew up. Um, I actually was raised in a home where we never discussed race. It wasn't a thing. We all had the same color of blood and that was that. Like we never questioned it. We never really thought about it. Um, born in Flint, Michigan, um, it's a little rough in that area. We moved to a little rural setting later on when I was uh, middle school age. And um, still though, race wasn't ever really talked about um, because we were all just people. And mm -hmm. I think it's 
been a rude awakening for me as an adult. Um, my husband was in the military, so we moved to a Fort Bragg area. I noticed for me that um, race was never even brought up until we moved south for some reason. Okay. I don't know if it's some Yankee <laughs> or what, but um, it was shocking to me and to my kids too that um, race was ever a thing to anybody else. Um, I'm sure you must have grown up much different than I did. Um, my grandmother, she picked cotton and she was considered white. Um, when she was younger, she was a Rosie the Riveter and um, we grew up in a hardworking family and that was that. So um, I watched one of your videos. It was really compelling to me to watch because you were discussing how it, you know, you were born black and mm -hmm. how it was to walk in your shoes. So I want our listeners to hear a little bit about how, you, what it was like to walk in your shoes as a youth. Okay. Well, like I said, my parents, they try to teach us the same thing as far as yours, you know, love everybody, you know, matter of fact, they did teach us that, you know, uh, trust God, you know, but then it's like when we left my my parents' home, it was a different atmosphere in the world, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it was crazy because, like I said, I wrote my this book called Unapologetically, I'm a Man, and it's it, I'm inspired because the title I Am a Man was actually the last speech that Dr. Martin Luther King gave or rally was protesting uh, before he was killed. You know, like literally, it was, that was the concept the day before. You know, so I came back behind and said unapologetic, like I'm not apologizing for being a man because my whole life I was always been told, I've always was told uh, growing up that you would never amount to nothing. You'll always be worthless. You'll never be able to provide for your family. And imagine you tell this to a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, you have 30-year-old men telling this to a child, you know? And because that's how I was, you know, I left the house and they're coming to me like, you'll never be nothing. Mm. Like, you're worthless. Now, you, you're growing up your whole life with that type of hatred. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Even to the point to where I even had, I think I was eight years old, nine years old. And this guy had to be at least 30. And he, he came up to me, you know, me and his son were the same age, same grade. And one day he was just like, I hate you. And I was like, what you hate me for? I've never done nothing to you. Just that, he said, because you're not the typical black person. You know, and he looked at me and he said, for one, you don't come from a broken home. I don't like that about you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is that? Because all black people come from broken homes. Your dad's not supposed to be in the picture. Your dad is in the picture. Your mom's not supposed to care about your dad. Your mom cares about your dad, you know? So, and even in school, like I said, with this man, he even told me, he's like, I hate you to the point where if I could kill you, I would. Hmm. And I can get away with it. And I'm like seven, eight years old. You know, so now it puts that awareness of men hate me to the point where I have to look over my shoulder all the time. You know, or if people see you smiling or whatever, they're coming to you like, what are you smiling for? You know, you're black. You're not supposed to smile. You're supposed to be mad at the world because the world hates you. You know, so... And it becomes a, a, a consistent pattern when you start seeing this, because especially with little boys, because people are quick to tell them that, you know, even in kindergarten, I think I was in kindergarten, maybe first grade. And we had this one teacher that would come out, you know, we have all different races of people at my uh, school that I grew up with. 
And one teacher would come up with all the black kids in time out, like, you guys can't be, you can't. Like, I'm sitting there. So I asked my mom one day, I was like, Mama, why would a certain individual put all the black kids in time out, let everybody else play during recess? And she said, what do you mean? And I told her what happened. So the next day she came to the school and she saw a teacher do that. And she came, then she got my dad. So they watched for a whole week. Every, every time the teacher come out for recess, put all the black kids in timeout. And then they even got the principal. So the principal seen this now. And then we we're figuring out, you know, so we kind of figure out what well, that person was doing that specifically to the black kids. So we have that mentality growing up that we don't belong in society. And, and that's the reason why we have all these riots is because you've been taught your whole life, you don't belong, you know, go elsewhere. This isn't your country, you know, um, you're the worst of the worst, you know, and you've been told this your entire life from generation to generation to generation, because your parents went through this, you know, and especially being with my parents, they grew up in Mississippi doing Jim Crow, you know, so they saw this, then their parents saw this and their parents saw this, you know, and their parents saw this. So a lot of folks are frustrated because now you tell folks they're not a part of the system, but yet the system is telling you, I can, you don't deserve, your life has no value. And since your life has no value, we're going to do what we want and be justified by law. Because the law has always been, the law has been structured against people of color or people that are black. But for that reason, since the law is has protected those in certain situations, now you have these youngsters, or even just, I wouldn't say youngsters, but just people in general now are, are frustrated because I heard my father's stories. I heard my grandfather's stories. I've heard my great-grandfather's stories. You know, then they're telling me they're my great-great-grandfather's stories. So this is generationally, you know? And there comes a point where people get tired of being oppressed. People get tired of being mistreated. People don't like to be mistreated. So where do we come to a point to get to a point where we say enough is enough? Mm -hmm. And when you tell people they're not politically allowed to be a part of the system, because that's also uh, comes with training. Because like I said, you know, we were trained, what was it, back, back during the slavery process, they would say, hey, you're not allowed to read. Then they say, well, you know, those things travel generations. Now that you now that we're able to read, well, you weren't able to be a part of the political process, right? You had the black codes and um, you know, Jim Crow was preventing us from being a part of the political process. So now you have these, you know, these these young folks who want to be a part of the political process, but they lack understanding of the political process. So, mm -hmm. and this is just my perspective now. Mm -hmm. and it is right or wrong, but it's just my perspective. And so they want to be a part of the political process, they want to have a voice. You know, they want to be heard, but don't know how to be heard. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's the big thing. Like, if you, you want to be heard, what happens? Like, you know, and that's the thing, too, because my older brother, right? He was, uh, he was diagnosed with autism. And so he doesn't speak, he doesn't sense danger, none of those things. So growing up with him, when he was trying to, when he tries to speak, sometimes he gets frustrated, you know, and, and he'll get angry sometimes. You know, you, you see him yell or something, he'll run in circles or because he's frustrated because he's trying to communicate, but he doesn't have the communication skills to say what's on his mind. Mm -hmm. and, and so, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm wondering, um, I was just thinking of myself um, 
growing up, you know, women, we didn't have rights to vote long time ago. And um, I actually was in a Native American class when I was in kindergarten. And my ethnicity is super diverse, all mixed up. I don't even know all, I mean, I've had DNA tests and it's still confusing to me. Um, but a lot of people I think are frustrated with the whole system as well. Um, but how can we protest peacefully mm -hmm. and get our points across peacefully and teach our children? I think the biggest thing is the lack of people teaching their children the proper way, because you and I, our parents taught us, right. Our parents taught us to love people regardless of color. Our parents taught us that we all bleed the same color blood. You were in the military. You fought next to all different kinds of ethnicities. Um, you guys were fighting on the same team. Um, what would, what can we do or what is your opinion on how can we reach these young people um, that are frustrated, but they're acting out angrily and more people are getting hurt and um, police are getting shot up. And um, I actually was a police reservist on the Saginaw Police Department. We were the number one most violent city per capita in the nation. Mm -hmm. And my lieutenant commander is um, an African-American black man and was the best commander that there could be. And I'll tell you what, we never had the race issue 20 years ago in our city, thank goodness. Um, but we had a lot of other issues. But I think um, we were reaching out to try to reach the youth um, to let them know that not all of one group is a bad group. So um, not like that police officer that killed um, George was horrible. And he is you know, he deserves to go down, in my opinion. And um, at the same time, not all police officers are bad. There's a ton of great um, African-American police officers out there, but now things are getting crazy in all different cities and people are burning down buildings with, you know, um, I, I watched a newscast, um, I need to find it again, but there's an African-American that was sobbing because his business was destroyed. And he had said that it was his whole life. He worked very hard for that business. And now he has nothing because it was destroyed in the rioting. Um, so how can we reach these youth? I mean, it's urgent. It's not like it can happen overnight either, but it needs to happen overnight. What is going to awaken this nation? Well, like I said in my book, I kind of hinted to it because I said it's a poetry book. And I figured that we have to make a change, but the change has to begin with actually America embracing the change, you know, because first and foremost, when we create this whole racial caste system, you know, anybody's read the book, The New Jim Crow, are very familiar with it, you know, and, and it is break down to create, fin you know, financial wealth, right? But then you're excluding somebody else. So you're creating competition, but you already have, you have it rigged where you already have a, a loser set up in mind, you know? So if we first of all, we got to eliminate any ideas or any profitable sources that comes with the whole concept of racism, first and foremost, right? Because if you're making money off of it, you want to keep doing it. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's how you feed your children. So, you, so you're going to teach them that same negativity, that same hate, because you're making money off of it, you know? And then let's look at the, the images on television and the radio. You know, they give us a negative image all the time. You know, so 
the fact that we have to change that image. And I think, you know, Bill Cosby back in the 80s was doing a wonderful job when he was saying, you know, with the Cosby show, and he was showing that, you know, as black people, you can be a doctor, you know, you can marry a lawyer, you know, you can raise your family and have a big house. But then most of the stuff you see on TV is like, no, you can't be that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my, like one of my favorite shows growing up is the Bill Cosby show. Yes. And, and the, um, what's happening and uh-huh. there's no good TV shows on anymore. None. That's right. Because someone is making a profit off of that, you know, and, and, and whether it's chaos, someone's making a profit off of chaos, you know, so we have to take away the profitable opportunities from that chaos, you know, and then we have to support it by law because let's look at Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, that was known as the black wall street. You no, know, they were successful, you know, black community, you know, and they were doing well financially. They wasn't thugs. They had their own businesses and, and, and that whole community had their businesses, you know, and then what happened, you know, the KKK came and they burnt it down to the ground on top of killing almost 200, 300 people on top of that. And, 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 and so, and the same thing happened in Florida, you know, and this is, this is what's documented in American history. So, you, uh, you, you know, you know, like I, said, I was raised in church, so I believe, and I was raised that you reap what you sow. You know, the seeds you plant is the fruit that you grow. And this is the type of hatred that America has created towards people of color. And now it's coming back out because the same hatred has been spewed towards us. Now it's coming back out. But at the same time, these riots, not all the people that are rioting are frustrated. Some people are just race baiters, you know? Mm-hmm. I've seen some videos online where some people were actually setting up saying that they were with Black Lives Matter and they weren't even with the organization. Someone caught them. You know, they spray paint tagging so they can get blamed for it as protesters. So, you know, it goes, it's it's so much, and and it's sad that it's so much hate because you look at someone's like, oh, I just look at you and I hate you, but you don't have a reason to hate them. You don't even know them. You know, and that's why um, Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech was so powerful because he said, what do you say? Man should be judged by the content of his character and not by the color of his skin. And here it is almost 60 years later and we still haven't got to that aspect or to that point yet that you should judge an individual by what they do, what they say, how they maneuver, and not just from looking at their appearance. Um, do you have any kids? I do. And how are they taking things right now? Right now, they're just seeing it as it's life, you know, it's rough, uh, but it's life. Because again, with when you when you have a society that tells you you would never amount to nothing, you know, just um, you know, it, it really makes you think a different kind of way. Like I said, I was a, a nine-year-old boy or a seven-year-old boy, and a 30-year-old man said, I, I would want you dead. I want to see you die, you know? And because I wasn't what he expected me to be, he tried to stereotype me and I didn't fit that stereotype. So I don't deserve to live for having my own thoughts. You know, I thought this country is known. As a matter of fact, I would say it. This country is founded upon life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. You know, every man's entitled to inalienable human rights. You know, and all men are created equal. So that being stated, we've never been true to that. All men are created equal. Until we actually get to a point where all men are really created equal, this anger back and forth is always going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, before I interviewed you today, I had a, a Navy SEAL on the show. He's retired. His name is Jay Smith. He was talking about when he was growing up, he was bullied. He was uh, known as the fat kid. Um, once he got into the military, he wanted to prove himself that he could do good, be better. Um, mm -hmm. Now you were in the military, you were in the army. Um, I believe you served three tours in combat, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how has the way that you grew up um, being essentially bullied also um, and um, put into a box, somebody else's box, um, how were you able to break free from that so that you can live a better, more free life? Well, first and foremost, I don't believe I was bullied because I always fought back. Plus I was always taught to fight back, you know? Um, plus my parents always taught us, you know, trust God. And we was always told that, you know, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. So if you live in fear, you can't have a sound mind. You can't make clear cut decisions. So first and foremost, I would have to say that um, I don't live to other people's expectations. You know, that's how I was raised, that's how I was taught. You don't live to man's, you know, other people's expectations. You know, you, let, you, you try to do your best to live up to God's expectations. And then from there, um, you know, you become fruitful and, and multiply and prosperous and things of that nature. But it's the thing that when people try to categorize you, mm -hmm. you want to be able to identify you some type of way instead of saying, you know what, this is who he is because this is his story. And I believe if I remember correctly, that's what made uh, a lot of people loved about President Roosevelt was because he, he you know, you can ask him up front, he's like, how many people do you know? And he'll tell you, I can tell you, I know 50,000 people. And he said, I can tell you the names and their story right now at the top of my head. Like, this is his story, you know? So, like, you know, and when he was in the White House as president, he wouldn't just um, hang around his constituents. He would go talk to the, the, the maids and the cooks and he would befriend them. And, and he knew their name, their story. He knew their children's name and story, you know? And the fact that he was that, you know, interpersonal with his staff in America, what, that breaks up that type of interpersonal relationships if you're already pre-categorizing somebody before you even get to know them, mm -hmm. you know? So. Yes. And you know, it's funny because some of the things that we're talking about, I believe that anybody who judges somebody else, instead mm -hmm. of judging, they should sit down and have a conversation with them, an open conversation, mm -hmm. because you can never judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. So you can't judge somebody by its color either. Mm -hmm. And sure. I guarantee I have stories that people would never have imagined about myself and I know the same about you too. And mm -hmm. everybody has a story. Everybody has a different path that we're walking down. But mm -hmm. the main thing is that we're all human and we should be treated as such. And we need to have these open conversations with one another. Mm -hmm. um, some of the things that you were talking about actually hit me in the heart because I was like, I was not bullied because of my color but there were some people who, when I started podcasting, did not like that I was always positive. So they would try to, you know, um, say things that would irritate me or um, try to make me look bad. And when you're talking about how you shouldn't let other people category or put you in a category, 
um, I'm like, yes, that's right for everybody. And so when you start to judge somebody, stop yourself and really think about what you're doing, because would you want to be placed in that box or that category? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, can you tell us a little bit more about your book and where people can find it? Sure. You can find it on mr-maxwell.com and soon it's going to be up on Amazon as well. Um, and like I said, it was near and dear because uh, my, my release date is going to be June 19th, but most of us that know uh, that's Juneteenth. And, and, and it's significant to me because this year is 2020 and we know 2020 is utilized as a uh, measurement for clear vision. So I want to say, you know, as far as releasing the slave mentality, or the slave thinking mentality or the whole slavery concept in America. I want to take that Juneteenth concept of, you know, Texas being the last slave to, or the last state to, you know, free the slaves. But I also want everyone to have the clear vision said, this isn't the way to go. This isn't the way to live. This isn't, you know, life because you're walking around with this hatred, you know, for someone who's never done nothing to you. You know, how do you hate somebody who hasn't done anything to you? You know, and or how do you dislike someone who hasn't done anything to you? You go to a complete stranger and, and do harm to them. They've done nothing to you. You know, that that's, or, you know, you tell a, 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 a little boy, I want you dead, you know, just because I have no real reason. You know, I just don't like your skin color. And so I think you should die, you know, and then turn around and, 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 and plot to do so, you know, and that's, that's the sad part because, you know, there was, um, there was a plot on that. It just so happened that I was blessed with God-fearing parents and my mother would tell me, walk home a certain way and don't break that route. And I didn't break that route. And I found out that dude was actually watching me, you know, to snatch me up. So, you know, which goes alongside with that type of anger. And that's why, you know, um, one of my poems was so personal and a lot of people have been responding to this poem. You know, and uh, it's titled, I've been told by society. And, uh, you know, I talked about how society was, uh, as pretty much tried to categorize me, but how I can't accept it, you know? And matter of fact, I even even quote it real quick. It goes, I've been told by society. It says, um, if I'm opening up my book, I got the book right here, I'm gonna read it. I was going to ask you to, but I didn't want to put you on the spot in case you didn't have it right there. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. All right. It goes, I've been told by society, freedom will always elude me. Prosperity will not embrace me. The war on drugs will enslave me. Prison is my destiny. Death at a young age is my prophecy. Not able to provide for my family is the way that I'm cursed generationally. To be a pillar in society is not even a possibility. These quotes, my whole life, I've been told continuously, but I can't understand what I've been told conceptually. God's favor is blessing me eternally. Can't measure my growth infinitely to the father odds stacked against me perpetually. So that's, you know, I've been told by society because those things I have been told, I just put it in a, you know, in my own words, what they said, you know, but it had the same meaning. And I so. think those words can really resonate with many different groups. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I know a lot of kids who were, grew up in poverty and it Mm -hmm. didn't matter what color, but they were told those things because they were Mm -hmm. poor because of where they lived, because of how they live, 
that they were going to grow up to be just like their parents who were nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so what I especially like about the poems that I've seen you put out so far is that they really can resonate with everybody. It just so happens to be that, um, right now we're discussing race, but I think it mm -hmm. can, your book can really hit home to so many different people and so many different cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a really good friend and he was very upset when, um, when the virus first came out, people were calling mm -hmm. it the Chinese virus, but mm -hmm he didn't really mind that so much other than all of a sudden some people started attacking Chinese people. Um, uh -huh. And there was a problem in LA where he lives and he was fearful for himself, you know? So, I mean, yes. you can break it down to all different kinds of races, different kinds of um, people, religions, um, different categories. And what I love about you is you offer um, hope, mentorship. Um, yes. You offer uh, helping hand. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. And I love how you're opening yourself so that people can learn if they like shut their mouth for a minute and just listen mm -hmm. and get mm -hmm. to know you. And I encourage everybody who's listening to just take a moment and get to know your neighbors and get to the root of who people really are and not what they look like. Um, because we're all human and we all do bleed the same color of blood. Correct. And I like to add on to that as well. Like you said, we're all born human, you know? And so everyone loves to be treated with respect. So it comes back to the basic, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. so no one wants to be treated inhumanely. So, you know, so while we have the mentality in this nation to say it's okay to treat a certain group of individuals, inhumanely you know so like i said it's all about that equality you know justice being just you know a court system that's fair for you know everyone mm -hmm. you know um and and that's where we haven't got to a place and it's sad because here it is you know it's been hundreds of years and we're still here, <laughs> mm -hmm. here at this point you know, and it's like, we have to get to a point where we have to move forward, you know? Where do we move forward? And so even with my, um, you know, with my website, I'm, you know, I've set up a blog and with the blog, I'm also wanna, I also wanna create a, as a topic or place of discussion, you know, with the mr-maxwell.com blog. Mm -hmm. I wanna, you know, bring, I want people to actually come and bring solutions, you know? Because part of the issue is our justice system, you know, our financial system, you know, even our political systems, but they're all based upon this. And we have to break it all the way down because how do we grow as a nation, right? How do we grow as a nation? How do we prosper? You know, when this country's founded, you know, under the principles of trusting God and one nation under God indivisible, well, if you do wrong, you have to atone for it. You know, and atonement comes is, it's a breakdown of forgiveness because if you're the perpetrator and you've done wrong, you have to come to a place where you come to a place where you have to forgive yourself for doing wrong, but you get, plus you got to do right by the person who, who is your victim. Now the victim on the other hand has come to a place of getting over the shame and guilt or, of being done wrong and develop a place where you can develop uh, redemption for the perpetrator, right? Where America's never came to that point where we try to heal our victims and, and establish redemption for 
our perpetrators. And, and that's where we failed at. And that's where we lack the concept of forgiveness or, or atonement, because we have to atone some way or another, you know, and we have to literally come together and say, we have to build here. We have to build at you know, point A, we have to build in point B, we have to build in point C, and we have to build to the point where we all can come to a point of forgiveness on that level. Mm-hmm. Where we actually um, growth, because that's where growth takes place at. Without it, you know, if you've done something wrong, everyone's done some, some you know, wrong here and there. You know, we've all failed to abide by a principle or a standard. So, but then you don't stick to it, to that, well, I messed up, so I'm just going to keep messing up. You don't do that. But that's what I'm yeah. <laughs> and it's just one big, it's like a snowball. Like you did this. So I'm going to do this. Well, yeah, you did this. Now I'm doing this. Correct. <laughs> and it's like, you guys just got to all stop, stop mm-hmm. and take a breath. And then let's mm-hmm. talk about it. <laughs> yes. And, and that's what I want to do is educate the people um, mm-hmm. through my book. But I'm using the concept of poetry because I know poetry inspires and it's thought provoking. And I want my words to be thought provoking. You know, and I want to inspire. My life's mission, my life's goal is to be able to uh, impact and help as many people, as numerous as the stars in the sky, you know? So I want my words to do that, you know? And um, I wanted to make sure I said them, you know, I left, I said my words eloquently. You know? And that is another thing I really love about you because um, I'm very careful of who I put on my podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> one of the things that I really respect about you is when you disagree with somebody about something, you don't just start throwing names at them. You don't start calling them names and threatening them. And you just yeah. kind of explain your viewpoint and you leave it as that. And yeah. that to me speaks more powerfully than somebody who is going to um, tear other people down because they are thinking one way. That's not a good way to win someone over. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I, I really um, enjoy the posts that you make. I enjoy your encouragement and your positivity and and that you're trying to make a change mm-hmm. and that you're actually taking footsteps to do it. Um, a lot of people, you know, they'll voice their opinion on social media, but you can't change the world just solely using Facebook. <laughs> Let's right. face that, <laughs> you know, and so I love that you, you actually go out and you speak to crowds and mm-hmm. um, you are a public speaker, you're an author. So your, your work is getting put into the hands of people. Um, so if somebody wants to hire you to come speak at an event, um, would they just go to your website to contact you? Correct. You can go there. Um, you know, they can meet me on my, you know, meet up with me on my social media as well. I do check my messages. Uh, like I said, I'm on Facebook. I have a uh, motivational speakers page on Facebook. It's my business page. I also have a uh, Instagram, a Twitter, Tumblr. Uh, I'm there as well. So now I don't talk about politics a whole lot in the show, but I believe I read that you're a Republican. Correct. Are you going to be running for office or have you? Uh, actually, a lot of people have been asking me to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's, I'm very passionate about politics. And I think I'll be great in office. I think I'll be great because I care about the people and I want what's best for the people. And um, I'm not about greed, you know? So, because, you know, if I want to make money, I have business, you know, which I can work in. But when it comes to politics, it's about what's best for the people and why you're willing to stand up and speak up for the people and be a voice for the people. And I think I'll be a a, a great spokesperson for the people. I do too. That's why I'm bringing it up. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think you should consider it. I really do. So I appreciate you. I value you. I'm glad that you're on the show. Um, I told Cornelius off air. I was like, you're, you know, I don't look at you as a black man. You're just my brother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it's like, I wish more people would have that mentality, you know? And yes, it's, a, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, you know, and it's funny because like I said, it's, it's like how I really just, when I said, like I said, my poem, like I can't understand what I've been told conceptually. Like I can't comprehend that concept. You know, like the concept in itself doesn't make sense. Like you can't tell me one plus one is three and expect me to believe it. You know, and I have two apples and I can say, hey, this one apple is one apple, it's only two apples, you know? And so, and I believe this is what racism is. You're trying to force down someone's mind that one plus one is three, even though they're holding two apples, you know? You know I, one time I heard some person, it was at a grocery store in North Carolina and she was not very nice to a black lady who was in front of me in line. And mm -hmm. I could not just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was tactful, but I, I spoke up for that person. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is also an important key point that when you hear something that's wrong, I don't care what it is. If somebody's being treated wrong, I don't care who it is. People need to really stand up for each other. Correct. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Mm -hmm. If you see it as right, you know, you do the right thing. You know, if you see it's wrong, you know, you, you have to be um, chastised or, you know, receive some, for, some form of a, uh, rather if it's a tongue lashing or, you know, something like that, someone fuss at you or something like that, you know, sometimes you need to hear it. You know, mm -hmm. some, a lot of times some folks don't realize they're wrong until someone tells them they're wrong. So exactly. And know, I think some you know, people are raised differently too. I mean, it's not a good excuse at all because once you're an adult, you're responsible for your own actions. Yes. Um, but sometimes people don't realize what they're saying or how they're saying it can be really offensive and hurtful to somebody. And I believe that you can either speak life into somebody or you can speak horrible death to somebody. And sure. I personally don't want to be responsible for anybody hurting themselves or hurting somebody else. I do not agree with the, um, the violent rioting. I've seen some horrible things briefly when I flipped on the TV, I turned it right back off because mm -hmm. I think big media is another issue, but, um, just kind of guard your own heart and when you see something that's not being right, you know, we need to speak up about it. So, yeah. Matter of fact, one of my poems I discussed was talking about change and we have to change the way we think. And I was saying the change begins, it starts, it begins and it, well, it starts to stops with you, the individual. Mm -hmm. What are you going to make? What are you going to accept in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit? How are you going to respond to that? Because you are a product of what you accept, you know? You know, I was taught, you know, um, um, you know, what a man thinks, what a person thinks of themselves, that's what they are, you know, that's what they become. Mm -hmm. It's what are you taking into your mind? What are you listening to? What are you talking about? What are the people around you talking about? You know, um, what are you looking at around the clock? What are you feeding into your mind? You know, so when you look at it, what is the media doing? They're feeding into your mind consistent, consistently a bunch of negative stuff, you know? And you think about it, there's a lot of hurt and pain that comes with all that negativity. That's what's gonna follow, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
be uplifting. You know, matter of fact, I was, I remember reading some, I remember reading, matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs that a wise man's words are a wellspring of life, you know? And I started thinking about that one day. And I was like, the wise man's words are a wellspring of life. And I started thinking about how, you know, back in the day, the water was in the well, you know, and they got it from the ground. And how the human body is 70% water and the earth is 70% water. So without wise words, we can't even live. And we have to, so are you, are you really embodying yourself with that concept of accepting wise words and being around wise people? To, because that determines the value of what comes out of your mouth. And, and what comes out of what's in your heart, because, you know, the treasures of a person's heart, they will speak with their mouth, you know? So what's, what you take in, you eventually is gonna come out. You can only be fraudulent for so long before the truth comes out, you know? And, and that's another thing, we have to untrain this way of thinking because it is poisonous. It is poisonous. Yeah, and America is so much better than, than this especially when we actually abide by the concepts of all men are created equal. Everyone has inalienable human rights. Listen to these words, you know? Everyone has the opportunity to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness, you know? How are you happy being angry? It's an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. Even yeah, you can't be angry mm -hmm. or happy when you're angry, when That's you right. hold grudges. When you're still mm -hmm. mad at somebody, I can honestly sit here today and say, mm -hmm. I have no grudges against anybody, like mm -hmm. none. Um, have I been wronged? Yeah, I <laughs> think we right. all have. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? Like I have forgiven them. I, it doesn't mean you have to be stupid and let them keep repeating <laughs> offenses. That's um, right. But yeah, that's... Uh, definitely some wise words from you. So thank you. Oh, yes, definitely. All right. So one more time, your social media outlet so everybody can go and check it out. All right. And catch me on Facebook at Mr. Cornelius J. Maxwell, which is my business page, or you see my personal page, Cornelius J. Maxwell, um, Twitter, Instagram, um, Tumblr, and as well as my personal page, Mr. Dash Cornelius, I mean, Mr. Dash Maxwell.com. Um, you know, and I will be posting like more so I'm doing, I got my, uh, veteran advocacy there as well. Um, see there, um, as well as, you know, uh, my book here and things of that nature. Like I said, I, I just want to help people in a nutshell. That's my life's goal. That's my life's mission is to be a pillar in society, but that's just me. Cause my father is the same way, you know, I'm seeing as a kid growing up and I say this story a lot, you know, where, you know, we was coming, you know, we are leaving church when and my dad's in his suit and he'll see someone on the side of the road and he'll take his suit jacket off and throw it on the ground and treat his, like, and treat his suit jacket like it's a towel, you know, you know on the ground as he's sliding on the other folks' car and, you know, and stuff like that. And it, it made me think a certain kind of way about what it is to be a servant, you know, because in the end, you know, if we have that mentality that we're all here to serve one another, rather if it's with your words, whether it's with your hands, we all skilled. We all have a skill of something. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of mastering your skill in, 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 in the form of service. And what kind of legacy you're gonna leave. That's big for me lately is how are people gonna remember me when I'm not here anymore? Mm -hmm. um, because I want to make a difference in history. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I wanna leave my mark. <laughs> and I think that you're very much like that. Yes, very much so. I talk a lot about legacy in this book. 
discuss legacy and destiny and anointing. So, you know, to be chosen and to have a, a destiny and to live in that destiny and to understand and embrace, you know, the anointing of one's destiny. You know, um, you know I do discuss that and it, it's, is it, like I said, the book is very thought-provoking. It's very powerful. I, I spent, I've been working on this book on and off for about five years, on and off, you know. And so I've been, you know, I made sure I was very careful with, but at the same time, I wanted to be true to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I put a lot of thought into it, even from the release date to the cover, because um, the person who painted the cover, her name is Lorna Renee, you know, she's the artist, and she's also my mother. So, you know, oh. just, yeah, so... Um, I gave her the concept of what I wanted on the cover and what the book was about. And then she was creative enough to create paint, do an oil painting on the concept that, you know, that she chose, you know, and I asked her, you know, this is just what I want to do. Just, you know, you're the artist, you're creative, you know, in just hundred percent, whatever you come up with. And I looked and when she gave it to that cover, I was just like, wow, that is, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I'd like to thank her for that, you know, for helping me out and, um, I'd like to thank also Lamax Marketing, uh, which the CEO is my youngest sister. Her name is Lawanda Maxwell. You know, she's a, a marketing. She's also a marketing professor as well. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, the Lisa Trissell, who is the CEO of Le Leaked for My Pen. Um, she helped me with the publishing because I had never published a book before. So she helped me side by side. And she's also a vet. So, awesome. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and it's a project that I believe is near and dear to my heart. And I think it will inspire and impact lives for generations to come. And that's mm -hmm. what I want. That's that's really my overall goal in life. And that's why I wanted to leave in these words was to impact generations to come. Thank you so much, Cornelius, for being on the show. It's been such a great time just talking with you and uh, picking your brain. And I, you know, I think that our conversation will go very far. I think that, um, will provoke a lot of thoughts from people. <laughs> so good, thank good. you. Thank yes, you. And th uh, yes. And thank you for having me. You know, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. And, you know, like I said, we we're making a difference and that's what's most important. And we want our words to do that. And, you know, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate that about you because that's what your platform is built upon, you know, and I have the utmost respect for that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you everybody for watching. And um, I hope you all have a good rest of your week and um, that you all just kind of take some time and think about some of the things that we said tonight. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. Be sure to visit www.pattycatter.com for the latest podcasts, articles, and swag. Also, be sure to follow Patty on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Patty Catter. At Patty Catter.